Welcome, guys. Welcome to another edition of this podcast. I am your host, Yanko. And what a revelation, right? Two weeks in a row? What's next? Other people on the podcast for week nine of the NFL ending week eight? Regardless of what it may be, thanks for listening as we finalize a pretty good week for some. Some with a bye, with their teams that were favored, or their favorite team, better said. And then some rough starts uh, to fantasy as the result may have not ended up in your favor. Again, this is Yanko coming to you from Dallas, Texas, home of the Cowboys, where on Thanksgiving, your host, Yanko, will be there seeing the Raiders versus Cowboys. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's get started on a couple of NFL news and a couple of NFL stats, a couple of NFL-related items. And where should we start? I mean, as the weeks progress, they all start kind of getting a little blurred, right? We we tend to live in the moment. We tend to live in the moment of what fantasy players are playing when, that they score for you, that they make up for you, maybe some points that you needed uh, to get past that one or two points that you were behind or you had someone burst out just enough to get that win in fantasy football or for your football team in general. Week seven brought out a lot. Week seven brought out a a couple of things that are really starting to draw a picture for some. And although we're close to half a year already gone by, week seven has already brought at least some unsuspected teams at the top, unsuspected success for, from some teams that you may think, whoa, how is that happening? Well, let's start with the AFC and the records by division. And the AFC East, which is the weakest division based on solely record, the Bills, the Dolphins, the Patriots, and the Jets are 9-17. and 17. We move on to the AFC West which is the second strongest division with the Raiders, Chiefs, Broncos, and Chargers sitting at 15 and 12. You've got the AFC South sitting in third amongst the four AFC divisions with the Colts, Jaguars, Titans, and Texans. And then the strongest by virtue of record collectively is the AFC North at 17 and 10 with the Steelers, Ravens, Browns, and Bengals. And what we saw was a couple of mishaps by some, maybe a week to forget, a week that is starting to really shape the power of the NFL and either conference, right? Being the American Football Conference or the National or the NFC. Sorry, that slipped a little bit. But week seven definitely brought a couple of surprises. So let's go over a a quick recap of what Week seven was, and we, we'll start off with the Saints and Seahawks. We're going to get Monday and then just kind of go backwards. And what a slugfest, right? I mean, and not necessarily offensively. And in the beginning of that game, if you saw it, or at least had any reason to see it, probably because you had uh, some fantasy implications, you saw DK go off for about 84 yards to the house. A tone setter in Seattle. The Seahawks are someone to reckon with 
at home with the 12th man. But if you keep reading, there's a little asterisk at the bottom. Only when Russell is playing. And what a difference Russell makes, right? Because now the Seahawks have now gone 0 and 3 at home for the first time since 1996. It's a tough start to the season in Seattle. And furthermore, elaborates how important Russell Wilson is to that team. Now, if we go through the game, it's not like if we turn around and go, whoa, what an offensive explosion there was in New- with New Orleans and Seattle. No, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, Jameis came out, which I think uh, finally featured Alvin Kamara. I mean, it was basically Alvin Kamara versus the, Se- the Seahawks defense. He went off, had a bunch of total yards from scrimmage. If you have him in fantasy, I know healthy dynamic. I think he's the one who has it. Definitely likes to see that maybe, okay, Alvin started hitting his stride because why wouldn't you feed your best player? Why wouldn't you feed your marquee player? You don't have your star wide receiver. You've got a couple of rookies and maybe second year players in the mix. You don't have a dominant tight end. And Jameis is here, but is it a little different because Taysom isn't involved? Is Sean Payton struggling to maybe manage the offense? Because you would assume that after a bye, they would come back and just obliterate a Seahawks team that's Russell Wilson-less. That although Jamal Adams is a good player and Bobby Wagner is a good player, you take advantage of keeping the offense so much, as if you're a Saint or are the Saints, to tire out the defense and eventually just start putting up some numbers, right? And let's let's also keep in mind that the Seahawks kicker missed field goals that probably would have made the difference. As a matter of fact, if we talk about kickers, the Saints kicker, it was his first time kicking in the league. Will Lutz is now done for the season with some surgery that was done to his abdomen area, had a setback, and now he is out for the season. So you've got a rookie kicker in Seattle. And they still managed to pull a win. Not a lot to see there other than, as we continue to talk about the Saints, something that just happened today, Mark Ingram has been traded back to the Saints. So Mark went from New Orleans, as of recent, to Baltimore, down to Houston, six weeks of a season, or seven, back to New Orleans. Now, why would they trade for him? Why would they put him out there? I honestly think it's a couple of things. One, morale. You got to think of the morale. He brought a lot of juice, a lot of pizzazz, a lot of life to a locker room. And secondly, he isn't necessarily a huge threat, but he complimented Alvin Kamara very well. And we talked about this not too long ago in one of the other podcasts where complimentary backs, the running back one and running back two on every team are starting to trend in the NFL. So we mentioned a few, right? And now we'll add to that list from what we can tell, Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram. But nothing to see there other than the Saints end up winning 13-10. A couple of notable games, the Falcons uh, win with a young Kohu kick at the end to beat the Dolphins 30-28. You had the Panthers uh, surprisingly lose to the Giants 25 to three in a game where Sam Darnold ended up getting benched uh, for the backup because 
Coach Matt Rule thought that they needed a, quote, spark to try and catch up, right? And if you missed this game, you saw Daniel Jones reach out for what you would continue, maybe Daniel Beckham, a one-headed catch. Uh, a highlight to see, definitely. Uh, Devon Booker or Devin Booker uh, keeps filling in for Saquon. He had 51 yards and one touchdown. And then Darius Slayton had a measly five receptions and 63 yards. There isn't much to look for fantasy-wise in this game at all. I mean, we had Sam Darnold, who was bent, Shelba Hubbard, who is still filling in for the missing Christian McCaffrey, only had 28 yards on 12 attempts. Uh, DJ Moore only had six receptions for 73 yards. Nothing to see there other than the Panthers, after starting 3-0, and have lost four straight. One of the more surprising games in the NFL were the Bengals and Ravens, where the Bengals basically shellacked cut the wings off the Ravens in the Ravens home 41 to 17. And let me tell you something, guys, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. What a dynamic, what a duo. And I'll keep saying it. You heard the whispers, you heard the murmurs, you heard the rumors and training camp about Jamar and maybe during the draft on how they didn't pick an offensive lineman with their first pick or their first round pick. Jamar put up eight receptions for 201 yards and one touchdown. To give you retrospect on on what that was, Patrick Mahomes passing on Sunday had 206 yards total. Jamar by himself had 201 and a touchdown. Patrick didn't even have a touchdown, which we'll get into in a bit. But again, the Bengals, Ravens, and that's where you start seeing some of that power struggle, right? That's where you start seeing some of that, okay, is there a power shift in the NFL right now? Ben's getting old. Maybe the Ravens, because they are division opponents of the Bengals, just struggle with division opponents. Only their second loss, and now they're both tied at, on first place for 5-2. and two. Obviously, the Bengals getting the tiebreaker there. Still a lot of football to play, but if you would have told me that the Bengals were going to be at 5-2 and two with one of potentially and debatably top 10 teams in the NFL as a whole, you think I'm crazy just as much as you guys thought I was crazy for Mike Williams being a top prospect. And has he turned out to be one? He has this year. Let's move on to chiefs and Titans where another blowout happened. And you got to give it up to the Titans here after losing to the jets, which now we wonder how the heck did that happen? The Titans now move on to five and two and get this guys. They beat the bills on Monday night, turn around and beat the chiefs. 27 to three. Now, what's the bigger story here? Is it the Titans really showing that they don't really depend too much or don't need to depend on too much on Derrick Henry? Or is it that the Chiefs are kind of squandering away their season? Look, guys, QBs with the most interceptions in the league right now, the leader is Patrick Mahomes with nine. Zach Wilson with nine. Joe Burrow with eight, Sam Darnold with eight, and Trevor Lawrence with eight. Now, if you were to tell me that one, two, three, four, five of these quarterbacks were going to be on this list and that Patrick Mahomes was going to be one of them, I wouldn't believe you. He does have some plays that he tries to make up, and it must be a headache for an offensive coordinator or a head coach because he depends a lot on his skill, a lot of on his improvisation during a game, but it's cost him. Now he's up to 15 straight games was at least an interception each and sitting at 
the top of the NFL with the likes of Zach Wilson. Patrick Mahomes is debatable that is hurting his team more than he's helping with some of these unimprovised throws. Now, I'm not going to fail to mention the fact that half of these Holmes, Mahomes interceptions were tipped off receivers' hands. However, does this go back to what Josh said of the Chiefs having some kind of Super Bowl hangover? It's not only affecting Mahomes, but if some of these balls are going off the hands of some of his receivers who were used to them catching, if it's Kelsey, if it's Tyreek Hill, if it's Nicole Hardman, if it's Prinkle, whoever it may be, their running backs are fumbling. You have Clyde Erzelaire out for a while. The Chiefs are starting to show, okay, maybe this isn't necessarily our year. However, is it debatable or is it unreasonable to think that, let's say the Chiefs sneak in in the wild card in the last spot, number seven, and your favorite team is battling them in the, in the wild card weekend. Would you think it's a give me game? Do you still want to see Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs? I know I wouldn't. I know I don't. They've got some time. It's We're starting week eight. However, it's starting to get a little tricky now that the Chiefs are three and four. And now you have atop the AFC West, surprisingly enough, the Raiders at five and two and the Chargers at four and two. Because let's admit it, the Denver Donkeys aren't going to really uh, pursue anything. And we'll get into that uh, a little bit later. But what is going on in KC? It's not only the offense, guys. Their defense is horrible. They can't make a stop. They can't make any tur- create any tor- turnovers. Torn <laughs> turnovers, and they're they're just not necessarily providing a foundation that Patrick Mahomes can be a part of. Here's a stat: Patrick Mahomes and Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry had one touchdown pass. In that game, Patrick Mahomes, zero. And is Derrick Henry starting to do things and his team's trying to help him to win the MVP? Because if you look at the history of the MVP in the NFL for the last couple of years, it's really just been quarterbacks who win that position, who win that trophy, that distinguished honor at the end of the year. Is Derrick Henry starting to throw passes so that they can consider him QB-esque? to be involved in that MVP race? Who knows? It may help. Moving on to some other games, we had the Patriots completely obliterate the Jets. Crazy stat, guys. Crazy stat. Do you guys know when the last time the Jets won a regular season game in Foxborough? It was when Brett Favre was the quarterback for the Jets. How long ago was that craziness? Craziness. But anyway, the Patriots are starting to show and starting to remind the NFL that even though they have a three and four record, that they almost beat the Cowboys, that they laid it on to the team that they should have, and that they didn't take their foot off the gas. I mean, 54 points scoring 14 in the first, 17 in the second, and 20 in the fourth. Come on. Now, a little bit has to be with has to do with a disappointing first-year start for coach at uh, Sala in New York, right? Zach Wilson left that game. You came off a bye, and that's exactly what you don't want to happen. Where a Patriots team comes in, a division rival 
who you should know a little more, comes in and just, I mean, obliterates you. 54 to 13, not much more to say there. The Washington football team traveled to Green Bay, where Green Bay came up 24 to 10. And let's be honest, guys, this is something that, although there wasn't a lot of points scored from the highlights I was able to see, the Packers dominated that game. And it's crazy because I'll, you can't help but think that a lot of people approached Coach Rivera and said, Coach, you need a quarterback. You need a quarterback that isn't Tyler Heineke. And yes, he put up a, a great performance at the end of the year last year. Yes, he's a serviceable quarterback as a backup. And they, truth be told, am I forgetting about Ryan Fitzpatrick? Yeah, but was he going to be the answer? Or was he going to have another season where he's in, he's out, he's in, he's out? Kind of a remembrance or a reflection of what happened in Miami last year between him and Tua. I really think the Washington football team is a quarterback away from being better than their 2-5 and five record would show. Another game that was close for a little bit were the Lions and Rams in LA. The Lions brought every trick out of the book, right? Fake punts. Onside kick. I mean, Jared Goff probably had one of the better games of his, uh, one of the better games of the year. You had uh, DeAndre Swift or D Swift go off for an insane amount of fantasy points. Jay Williams had 12 attempts for 57 yards, but the Rams just proved to be too much. Matthew Stafford throwing for 334 yards, three touchdowns, and a showing where you thought and knew that he was going to play his heart out. And if you saw some of the after-game uh, press coverage where the players meet on the field, they talk to each other, and Matt was very cool with his ex-teammates, really just showing politeness, concern for the guys that he spent all of his NFL career with or an organization that he spent all of his NFL career with. And honestly, guys, I think the Lions at 0-7, Although their record indicates that they're the worst team in the NFL, I don't think they are the worst team in the NFL. The record shows it, but I don't think they're the worst team. There are a couple of few plays, a kickoff, or a field goal away from some wins. If you put the Lions and Texans, the Lions and Jaguars, the Lions and Jets, I think the Lions are better than those teams in general. But, hey, Matthew Stafford went off in Cooper Cup. By gosh, another multi-touchdown game. For 10 receptions, 156 yards, and two touchdowns. And Cooper Cup, guys, is on pace for the most fantasy points by a wide receiver in a single season in NFL history. So if you look at what he's the numbers he's putting up now, and you get the season that's been elongated by one more game, he's definitely on pace to obliterate. And that's going to be the word of this podcast, obliterate records. Now you've got Robert Woods. You've got some other... Uh, you got Tyler Higby there going, hey, uh, we want some attention too, but hats off to Cooper Cup and hats off if you have him on your fantasy squad. I think it's Master Deflator who has him. Uh, moving on to the Bears and Buccaneers, this was not even close. 38-3, to three, you're starting to see Tom Brady and company really catch a stride, really catch their rhythm. And although they're sitting at 5-1 and, and their one loss, you were like, uh, what's going on? This is the game I think their defense needed to feel good about themselves. At one point, I remember checking the fantasy scores across the league for the FFF and looking at Justin Fields, and I think those also started him. 
he had negative six points, I think. An obliteration of Justin Fields against a Tampa Bay defense. Now, uh, Kay Herbert, Khalil Herbert, the running back who has replaced Montgomery and Williams, uh, had a good showing. 18 attempts for 100 yards. Is he making a case for himself to continue to play if their second running back, Williams, is uh, ready to come back? I think so. I think you keep the hot hat in, right? Anything to help Fields uh, continue to grow and hopefully continue to grow. And it looks like for this week, uh, when they play, they might be without Coach Nagy. He's their offensive guy. I think he's their offensive play caller. Hopefully it doesn't affect them too much, but it just seems to be that there always seems to go, something seems to go wrong for the Bears. Interesting uh, about that game is that Tom Brady is now 22 years in the NFL as a pro quarterback. Justin Fields was born 22 years ago. Crazy stat uh, to look at when you see that game. Let's go to the Texans and Cardinals. And for a little bit, guys, uh, that score was 5-0 to zero in favor of the Texans. But did any of you all mur- uh, Murray? Ha, see what I did there? Worry for Murray at all? He went off for three touchdowns, 261 yards. Uh, D-Hop, A.J. Green, Edmonds all put in uh, their usual contributions. Zach Ertz got his first touchdown with the Cardinals. I mean, 31-5 to ended up being the final score. They're 7-0. They look like the best team in the NFL. They look like the best well-put-together defense and offense. They're getting back Chandler Jones this week. On a short week, by the way, on Thursday night, and we'll get into that in a bit uh, about my thoughts for Thursday night football. But nevertheless, uh, Kyler Murray continues to just make a case for the, him being the MVP of the league. However, a little bit of an off-subject topic, the trade that went down this week in the FFF that involved Kyler Murray, a little shady. I didn't agree with that one, but hey, I think it was brought up uh, by our good friend, Ellie Lambs, Steve. Has there ever been a trade rejected in our fantasy football league? I mean, could I, as long as the other team accepts, is it pretty much a guarantee that it's going to pass? Let's start to get real, guys, as we start to make a playoff push in the FFF. Continuing on with the game, Sunday night brought the Colts and Niners in what was a monsoon of a game, literally with rain falling from the heavens. Now, Carson Wentz, again, he's starting to hit his stride. He's starting to show efficiency. Only 150 yards and two touchdowns, which was enough. He fed Michael Pittman for four receptions, 105 yards and a touchdown. And Jonathan Taylor, again, over 100 yards and one touchdown. Now, some honorable mentions. Mitchell went off for 107 yards and a touchdown. Debo Samuel went off for 100 yards and a touchdown. But that's pretty much it. Guys, I think it's time to start looking at Kyle Shanahan. Complete honesty. If you were to look at his record with Jimmy Graham, or I mean Jimmy Graham, sorry, Jimmy Garoppolo, and then without Garoppolo, it's staggering. And it's not even great numbers, to be honest with you. Kyle Shanahan is starting to give this, at least to me, this notion, this idea that is he really that much of a good coach or is he a great coordinator? Is, is he starting to carry the San Francisco name predicated on past success where now 
The Niners sit at two and four at the bottom of a very strong NFC West. Well, I want to say very strong because two of those teams are top five in the NFL. I would say the LA Rams and the Arizona Cardinals with a struggling Seahawks there who are also sitting at two and four. I mean, come on, guys. What are the Niners this year? Is it like kind of the Patrick Mahomes Chiefs where you start to question maybe they need a little bit of a change? Is, does Trey Lance bring that to the table yet? Is Garoppolo the answer? You've got Kittle who's injured. They've had their running backs go almost by committee. What's going on in San Francisco? It's definitely not something that a lot of us NFL fans as a whole of the of the sport saw coming. We thought the Niners were going to be a force to reckon with. And at two and four, I'm sure COVID-49 and Los Chicharitos are hurting a little bit this year. And believe me, we've been there. We've done that, both Josh and I. Uh, being Raiders fans, that's hurt a little bit. Broncos, Browns. And that was a Thursday night game where I honestly thought that maybe the Broncos could pull it off. Maybe the Broncos could put it together and Teddy Bridgewater and company could take advantage of a lackluster offense, backup quarterback, third string running back for the Browns. But it proved to be that finally the Browns defense showed up. And, that, and you know what, guys? It's not like if they went up against a, an offense in Denver that is you know, amazing, right? Teddy Bridgewater is better than Locke. Teddy Bridgewater is better than what they've had the recent years at quarterback, but it's just not enough. As a matter of fact, the Broncos traded a linebacker from LA to them for, I, I forget the compensatory picks, but where's Chubb? Defensive line, def, uh, defensive end. Where's Von Miller? Why are you trading for a linebacker if you were supposed to be one of the top defenses with their safety that who just got paid with certain that they just drafted these, the Denver defense was supposed to be one of the better defenses of the NFL and they couldn't hold down case Keenum and the Ernest Johnson. Who, who is that guy? And shout out to Los Chicharitos who paid a pretty penny to get him uh, from the waiver wires. Uh, this past week, which turned out to be uh, a good a good bet, right? Dearness Johnson went off for 146 yards and a touchdown. Chubb is going to come back, I think, this week. Did Chicharito spend a little too much? Or does he have that luxury because he's only lost two games? We'll get into that a little bit later. And now, guys, Eagles and Raiders. And I saved the best for last. And I'm going to say best because I'm going to be a little biased. The Raiders came out and dominated, scoring 30 unanswered points without Darren Waller. And the Eagles started off strong. Their first possession, they went and scored a touchdown. And watching it live, watching it in person, as Yanko and Mrs. Yanko were at the game in the black hole cheering on the Raiders, I was a little worried because I thought, okay, maybe there was a motion that came and carried them through Denver, and now they're at home against a team they should beat a team that's two and four, a team that's rattled with the coach in Philadelphia that is starting to show a little cracks in the foundation, a weakness, uh, can't put it together. They're, they're not in sync. The offense isn't in sync. Jalen Hurts is trying to do too much. He basically is the offense. Your starting running back leaves the game, and the defense just, it just doesn't show up. 
I had actually picked the Eagles to be a dark horse in the NFL, and they should stay dark because they shouldn't show up. You bring them out to the light, and it's going to be a limelight because the Eagles at 2-5 and five made the Raiders look like a powerful team. And you know what, guys? Again, I'm going to be biased. I think that the Raiders are for sure top 10, top 11 team in the NFL as of now, seven weeks in. If you told me that a team that had built the last three to four years and their draft and a move and hiring all predicated around one man and that one man left suddenly that that team was going to be successful at least the first two games after, especially a team that no one expected really to dominate the AFC West or be in first place. Dominate is a strong word right now for seven games. To be in first place for the AFC West, you that wouldn't have that wouldn't have been the case. If you were to remove, let's say Shanahan, if you were to remove Sean McVay, if you were to remove Pete Carroll, and I'm not comparing Gruden to those coaches, I'm only comparing the presence and who they are to the organization. If you were to suddenly remove them, would those teams not be a little deflated? Or do good teams come out of the ashes victorious? Do good teams take care of business where business should be taken care of? The Raiders came out and took care of business in Denver. The Raiders came out and took care of business at home against Philadelphia. Putting 30 unanswered points, Derek Carr going 31 for 34 with over a 90% completion rating, something that hasn't been done in forever. And now you've got a defense where Yannick Ngakwe is going off. You've got a defense where Max Crosby is going off. And if you look at Derek Carr, games with 90% plus completion percentage ever in the history of the NFL, it's been done two times, three times total. Two times by Derek, one time by another quarterback. I think it's time to put respect on that man, DC4. The Raiders uh, look dominant. They go into a bye week. So I won't talk to them about and when I go over, talk about them when I go into week eight, but they're starting to take shape. And as the playoffs stand right now, guys, and look, we're, we're in game seven. I, I understand that. We're, we're seven weeks in. But now it goes to show where you start to take shape, what, where and who sits where. So l- let me help you draw this out in your mind. If the playoffs were to start today, and I'm going to start doing this on a weekly basis, who's where? On the AFC side, At number one, you would have the Bengals with a bye week. And at number two, facing number seven, it would be Raiders at number two, Browns at number seven, and they will play this uh, in the regular season this year in December. You'll have the Chargers at six with the Titans at three facing off and the Ravens at five with the Bills at four on wildcard weekend. On the NFC side, you would have the Cardinals at number one getting that bye week. With number two bucks against number seven, the Vikings, who I think are a little surprising. Number six, Saints against the Packers at number three. And then this one, this one would be very interesting as the LA Rams at number five would be battling the Dallas Cowboys with the number four seed. And let me tell you something, guys. And it hurts me to say this, but the Cowboys are definitely a top 10 team in the quarter in the NFL right now. They have a game on Sunday night against the Vikings, which I don't think is a gimme game. And as of tonight, Wednesday night, 
They're still waiting to see if they're going to clear Dak Prescott. Is he going to play? Probably. Absolutely. But you start seeing these things, and you have to admit that as a Cowboys fan, you start thinking, what if Dak doesn't play on Sunday? Who knows? But the Cowboys are on pace to have 2,000-yard rushers and Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott. 2,000-yard receivers with C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper. And it's crazy because you you wouldn't think that these were the teams, and maybe you, if you're a Cowboys fan, if you're a Rams fan, if you're a Raiders fan, that these are teams that would be considered top in the league. So let's go over what the experts, quote-unquote, and I did the air quotes. Uh, you just can't see them. What the experts think that the power rankings are in the NFL right now. And let's start with number one. And that would be the Arizona Cardinals. Guys, let's admit it. The Arizona Cardinals at number one, and this is according to ESPN, is easy to say. I mean, they're undefeated. They've dominated. They've been in some close games, including the Vikings. But they still found a way to win. At number two, you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. At number three, the Los Angeles Rams. At number four, Green Bay Packers, who might be without Devontae Adam and Lazard on Thursday. Lazard for sure. Devontae's TBD. Number five, Buffalo Bills. Number six, the Dallas Cowboys. Number seven, the Cincinnati Bengals. Number eight, the Baltimore Ravens. Number nine, the Tennessee Titans. Number 10, the Los Angeles Chargers. And I'm going to squeeze in because I'm a Raiders fan at number 11, the Las Vegas Raiders. And it really depends on who you're looking at and who's doing your top 10, right? But that's according to ESPN. Now, let's start. Let's talk about more stats around the NFL. Let's talk about more uh, things that are growing, going on in the NFL. Well, your top five rushing leaders as of now, number one, Derrick Henry with 869 yards. Number two, Jonathan Taylor. Number three, Joe Mixon. Number four, Nick Chubb. And number five, Zeke Elliott. And that's Nick Chubb impresses me, guys, because he's been out and is still one of the, the number four leading rushers in the NFL. And then Zeke at 521, a close uh, five to number four, because Chubb has 523. After this week, I'm sure there'll be some uh, separation, but this is according to NFL on Fox. Follow them, guys. Top five passing leaders. Number one and number two are only have a difference of six yards. Number one, Tom Brady. Number two, my boy, Derek Carr. Number three, Matt Stafford. Number four, Patrick Mahomes. And number five, Kyler Murray. All above 2,000 yards. Let's continue to go on with some stats, guys. And the highest graded running backs in the NFL right now, according to Pro Football Focus, you've got really a surprise at number one at 83.5. The running back Harris in New England, Cordero Patterson at number two, Derrick Henry at number three, and Aaron Jones at number four. I don't know how they grade it, but this is according to Pro Football Focus. Again, Pro Football Focus top four quarterbacks in week seven Ryan Tannehill at number one Kyler Murray at number two Aaron Rodgers at number three and Derek Carr at number four what would your perfect lineup would have looked like in fantasy if you started and if you have this lineup you you won you have to have won this is the perfect lineup according to NFL football or NFL fantasy better said Matthew Stafford was your number one guy Alvin Kamara D Swift Cooper Cup Jamar Chase, 
Ozuma, tight end for the Bengals, Nick Folk, and the Buccaneers defense. And by the way, shout out to the New Orleans uh, defense. Even though I played against them in fantasy, I started to Mario Davis, and he gave me 21 and a half points, guys. Mind-boggling. And actually, I think that's what really won me the game. Anyway, what about rookies? How are the rookies doing so far in the 2021 season? Well, CBS Sports HQ went out and rated the rookies and power rankings, according to Josh Edwards. And I'm going to name one guy that I don't think is that deserves to be here. But this is based on performance. This is based on not necessarily just offense or just defense, just how they're performing and their grade at, as a rookie as a whole. Number one, no surprise at Jamar Chase. Number two, Rashawn Slater for the Chargers. Number three, Creed Humphrey for uh, the Chiefs. Number four, Rondale Moore. Number five, Jeremiah Owosu Kamora. Kind of difficult there, right? Mac Jones at number six. Nate Hobbs for the Raiders at number seven. Kyle Pitts at number eight. Trey Smith at number nine. And Devonta Smith at number 10. I think Najee got snubbed from these top 10, but... These are offense and defense. This is an offensive lineman that's up there. This is a defensive lineman that's up there. This is a cornerback, a nickel cornerback, wide receiver, QBs. They're just those players at their positions and their respective performances are putting out good numbers for a rookie. And you get to see them ranked in that order. Now, I want to give some love to the Bengals here because Joe Burrow, what a turnaround. In 2020, his pro football focus grade against the Blitz was 65.5%. That's what it was graded at. What a turnaround because this year, and it's starting to show with their record and their dominance again on Sunday, he is first in the league at 94% efficiency against the Blitz. And this is an offensive line that is a big question. This is an offensive line that people thought they should have drafted for with their first overall pick in the first round. We're not, they didn't have the first overall, but their first round pick. And as you continue to look through and you continue to see they're starting to put up numbers and starting to really build a case for, them, case for themselves in the power rankings and someone to reckon with in the NFL. How about the most sacks through week seven? Here's an interesting stat. With the most sacks as a team in the NFL, you have the Bears and the Vikings at 21, the Browns and the Rams at 20, the Cardinals and the Bengals at 19, a three-way tie for fourth place with the Raiders Packers and Panthers at 18, and then rounding off at number five, the Titans at 17. Something to think about. And I want to highlight Max Crosby. Max Crosby is, and I've criticized him a little bit in the offseason, calling him spaghetti arms Max Crosby. I apologize, Max. I am very, very woefully wrong. As you have 47, yes, 47, almost seven a game, QB pressures. Throughout the season, that's more than the Atlanta Falcons, the Baltimore Ravens, the Indianapolis Colts, the Philadelphia Eagles, the New England Patriots, the New York Giants, the New York Jets, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Miami Dolphins, and surprisingly, the L.A. Chargers. Now, the L.A. Chargers defense, they're giving up a bunch on the run. That's how, really how they got beat by the Ravens. Let's see if they were able to sure up that run defense over their bye week. As we continue to look at different stats in the NFL, you, you have to wonder and think, okay, what, what's going on with just 
in general, running backs. What's going on with quarterbacks? What's going on with just the positions that make a team? And we already went over a couple of things. When it came to rankings, who they are and what they are. And I don't mean a circle of wagons, but what I wanted to continue and use as a cycle is what's going on with two teams that have been more than just regular disappointing. Guys, after starting the season 3-0, and the Denver Broncos and the Carolina Panthers have now lost four straight. Which team, in your opinion, has been the most disappointing? And not because I don't like the Broncos and not because I don't like the Denver Donkeys, for that matter. No, but to me, it's the Panthers. The Panthers had a higher-graded defense. The Panthers started off strong. They went and got Sam Darnold after getting rid of Teddy Bridgewater. They made some off-season moves. You had Christian McCaffrey that was supposed to be, quote-unquote, healthy. Robbie Anderson was an acquisition that looked to be fair to good last year. And they've fallen off the face of this earth. Starting 3-0 and going to 3-4. and Remember, guys, this is a team that gave the Cowboys a little bit of run for their money. This is a team that dominated defense, had a top-ranked defense through week three. And you know what? I'm going to steal this line from Colin Cowherd. Week one in the NFL, it's kind of like the fourth preseason. And I agree with him because not a lot of starters play in the preseason. So week one can be considered almost a wash because that's the first real-time action. That's the first time you start really putting in all of your off-season work into play. But yet, it's still a game that counts. When I talk about the Panthers, they were in a division, they are in a division where the Bucks are the Super Bowl champions of last year. They're starting to show that they're, again, a force to reckon with. But at the same time, that there might have been some competition within the league. Because let's be honest, it's not like if the New Orleans Saints were going to come in and make noise with Jameis Winston. Or that the Deshaun Watson-less Houston Texans were going to do anything about that. Am I in the wrong division? Maybe I made a mistake, guys. Hold on. Let me get my facts straight. I just I thought Deshaun Watson, because there were rumors this week that Deshaun Watson might have picked up some steam going to the Houston Texans. I mean, from the Houston Texans to the Panthers. And I stand corrected. Uh, the Panthers are in the division with the Saints, Falcons, Bucks, and themselves. Anyway, why would there even be rumors to bring in Deshaun Watson, which they squashed today, apparently, but even then, to the Panthers, when you just picked up Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold hasn't, has had one of those careers that maybe the places where he ended up didn't do him the favor. He might be one of those quarterbacks that you might look back and go, man, that guy had a rough outing. USC didn't do him any favors. The New York Jets didn't do him any favors. And let's be honest, guys, if he doesn't make it work with Carolina, at most, he's a backup in the league for the rest of his career. Which makes you think, backups in the league, there's some quarterbacks out there, specifically one that hasn't been signed, that could be a serviceable backup and maybe even give 
the likes of Tyler Heineke, a run for his money for the starting position. Look, Coach Ron Rivera knows who Cam Newton is. He coached him in Carolina. He had him through the Super Bowl season, his MVP season. Why has he not brought him in? I think there's something to say about Cam Newton coming into the Washington football team and providing a spark more than what Taylor Heineke can do or Tyler, whatever his name is. It's not even worth uh, reminiscing. But anyway, to go back to my original point, which team has been more disappointing between the Panthers and the Broncos? It has to be the Panthers, in my opinion. Hit me up if you think that uh, otherwise. Other stats uh, or other conversational pieces that we can talk about, it's which wide receiver is making the best and biggest impact for their team. Look, if you were to tell me that there was going to be a rookie on this list, I would question who. But you have to think that Jamar Chase has a huge impact for the Bengals. I mean, time and time again, he's performing crazy plays, monster yards, making Joe Burrow's life so much easier and making the Bengals relevant. Let's admit it, guys. T. Higgins, him, Uzma, their tight end, Joe Mixon's, Samaji Pirine, Joe Burrow with a lackluster from what the grades look on pro football focus, offensive line, and they're winning. They're winning. Since when have you seen a wide receiver make so much of an impact on their team? Let's talk about another one who I think has the biggest impact on their team, and that's Devontae Adams. Now, him being out tomorrow, potentially for the Thursday night game, which let's be honest, guys, do we get a lot of blockbuster games on Thursday night? We don't. And I wish and I hope that Devontae plays merely for the fact that I want to see if the Cardinals are for real or that the Packers are for real, because this is one of those games that you test your team, right? You, the Packers went and got Jalen Smith. They're, I think they're getting Batiari back. Aaron Rodgers is turning into the Aaron Rodgers we all know. Let's forget about week one against a team who's undefeated on a short week. You would stand to reason that the Aaron Rodgers-led Packers should win that game if they're in full effect, if their experience is something to say, if all of their stars are there. But I wouldn't be surprised if Devontae Adams doesn't play and the Packers somehow some way, still end up winning that game. Another wide receiver making a big impact. We talked about him already. It's Cooper Cup. Let's admit it, guys. Other than Megatron, who did Matt Stafford have that was a big receiver? Or the offensive weapons he has in LA right now that he had in Detroit? Who? I'll wait for you to answer. Oh, what about... No, he wasn't. Danny, Am- no, not Danny Amendola. He is, you know, eh, Kenny Galladay. No, you know, yeah, eh, you know, Kenny Galladay. Where he said Megatron? Where he said what? Exactly. Who? Brandon Pettigrew? Who? Matt Stafford is showing that when you get offensive weapons around him. And let's remember, guys, that the Rams lost their running back one to an ACL, or I think it was an ACL, done for the season, and that Daryl Henderson has made an impact. Sonny Michel, uh, who is he now? I mean, he's basically taken on the role that he had with the Patriots. 
but now he's on a winning team because the Patriots aren't necessarily have don't have a winning record right now. But Cooper Cup is making an impact that I don't think a lot saw coming. You have Robert Woods there. You have Deshaun Jackson there. And yes, Deshaun Jackson's been in the league for a while, but he's still a big playmaker. He's your big shot guy. He's your over-the-top guy that he won't do it every game, but he can expose the defense. And if you hit him in stride, he's gone. He's still that type of player. But out of those three receivers, which one? Devontae, Cooper, and Jamar. And that respective order, at least for me. For me. And breaking news right now, guys. J.J. Watt, who was slated not to play on Thursday, is now likely out for the year after going undergoing surgery on an injured shoulder that is likely to end his season. Was he making a huge difference? Probably not. Was he making a difference in the locker room? Or maybe a couple of explosive plays on the defensive line? Maybe sometimes a still attracting a double team? against him we'll see how the panthers i'm sorry the cardinals do after jj watt is potentially out for the season breaking news you heard it here on this podcast unless you follow bleacher reporter you get alerts from uh many things many outlets espn nfl network uh, so on so forth anywho could thursday night show us an mvp versus an mvp the QB matchup between Kyler and Aaron, where both are potential MVPs, is a Thursday night game that we should look forward to. I'm going to watch, even if Adams isn't there. It's definitely a game to look for, a, a game that we usually don't get again on Thursday nights. But nevertheless, as the trade deadline approaches, what are some wild trade ideas that actually make sense? Well, how about if the Seahawks trade for Xavier and Howard and the Dolphins receive a third-round pick? How about trading Jimmy Garoppolo to the Texans and the Niners receive a third-round pick? I think it kind of makes sense. How about the Saints receive defensive end Robert Quinn to complement Davenport and Jordan on that defensive line and the Bears receive a second-round pick? How about the Packers trading in their division for Allen Robinson II and the Bears receiving a second-round pick? How about the Chiefs getting safety Justin Reed from the Texans? Because let's admit it, guys, their safety isn't doing so well. For a second-round pick to Houston. Uh, not necessarily something that I think is makes sense, but something that maybe is worth taking a look at. I definitely think there, there's going to be trades and maybe not some big name trades, but some trades that'll definitely help bolster some of these teams to propel them into the playoffs. Now, let's look at week eight and what week eight is going to bring us with some matches, matchups. There are definitely going to be uh, starting to define for some teams what is going to be a playoff push, a playoff run are completely out of the playoffs because some of these one in five teams, some of these two in four teams, if they lose again, going two and five, going one and six, especially if you're in a division where you have the likes of teams that have a one loss or a two loss, that might be at this point 
too much ground to make up. So again, Packers Cardinals Thursday night. I think the Cardinals should win that game, but don't be surprised if the Packers come up with a surprise at the end. Panthers Falcons. Let's admit it, guys. The Falcons are aren't great. We just finished talking about how the Panthers have have lost four straight. I think that's a team that is unraveling and will continue to unravel as the Falcons should prevail. Bengals Jets, really? Really? Bengals wholeheartedly. I think they're favored by 10 and a half points or they are favored by 10 and a half points. I think it should be a little more. Rams Texans Rams favored by 14 and a half points. Rams Dolphins Bills Bills favored by 13 and a half points. Bills and the Dolphins, another one of those teams sitting at one and six, a surprise where the Dolphins were supposed to be someone this year. Eagles, Lions, only a three point difference here favoring the Eagles. I think the Lions finally get their first win. Steelers, Browns, this one in favor of the Steelers, ironically, at three and a half points somehow. Uh, the Steelers are coming off a bye week. You take into account that someone like Big Ben, who is towards the end of their career, getting some rest against a division rival where they can make some noise, and if they win, only be one game back from first place. I think the Steelers kind of take that one, especially if uh, Baker Mayfield doesn't play again this week. Niners, Bears, the Bears are uh, supposed to be the loser here according to vegas uh with four points being the difference i think the niners just out coach the bears here niners take that victory titans colts this is a close one guys okay so the over under is 51 points in favor of the colts by one point interesting i think they're getting that favor of one point just because it's a home game for the colts that's going to be uh, a gimme game. I mean, not a gimme game, a push. I think that ultimately Derrick Henry ends up being too much and the Titans take that game. Here's a dumpster fire of a game. The one in five Jaguars against the two in five Seahawks. The Jaguars are coming off a bye. Look, let's be honest, guys. Again, it's in Seattle. It's a West Coast game, the late game. You've got the Jaguars traveling across the country, but well-rested. The Seahawks are actually favored only by three points. If Russell was playing, it'd be more than that. I still think the Jaguars uh, lose that game uh, in Seattle to the Seahawks. You've got the Patriots Chargers. And let me tell you something, guys. The difference here, the Chargers are favored only by five points over 49 being the over-under. Guys, the Patriots, you can never discount them. Ever. They played the Cowboys close. They played the Bucks close. They demolished the Jets. Don't be surprised if the Patriots take a win in LA against the Chargers, but the Chargers coming off a bye. They're probably going to come with their heads on fire, seeing that the Raiders out of everyone are winning. I think the Chargers take that one, but probably closer than five, five points. You've got the Bucks and Saints with the Saints favored with the over under being 50. 
I don't know. Maybe I'm reading this wrong, but Bucks in New Orleans, Bucks take that win. The Washington football team against the dominant Denver Donkeys. The Donkeys are favored in that one by three points. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll stick with the Broncos on that one. Cowboys Vikings, which is the Sunday night game. Look, guys, here the Cowboys are favored by a point and a half. This is closer than what I think a lot of people uh, think. I think the Vikings uh, are a, a better team than what their record indicates. They could easily be four and two right now, or or five and two better. Oh, they've had a buy already, so four and two. Uh, maybe even five and one, like the Cowboys. Regardless, this is a close game with only one and a half points being the difference. And then you have a Monday night, which, <laughs> look, guys, if you were to tell me that the Chiefs were playing the Giants in the Chiefs' kingdom and that the Chiefs weren't favored by more than nine points, I think you're ridiculous. By more than a touchdown and a field goal, the Chiefs should be able to light up the Giants. But according to Vegas, the fifth, the over-under is 52.5 points. The Chiefs favored by only 9.5 points. Guys, this is Patrick Mahomes against the Chiefs. And it's still a 9.5 point game against the Giants who are only 2-5. and five. Let me give you guys some, some perspective here, okay? You've got the Jets playing the Bengals. And although the Bengals are favored, it's still only predicted in Vegas to be 10 and a half points. Let me reiterate. Chiefs, Giants, nine and a half points. Bengals, Jets, 10 and a half points. This is the team that has gone to the Super Bowl two years in a row. Kind of starts to indicate the fall that the Chiefs have had as of late. That's your week eight in a nutshell for the NFL. Let's move on to fantasy football. And in fantasy football, you've got some defenses that are, or not defenses, but just teams in general. That are, we're starting to see the bye week take effect, right? You've got the bye week that has already been for some teams. For example, last week you had the Chargers and the Cowboys on the bye. Big players on respective teams for fantasy. This week you've got the Raiders on the bye. Uh, I don't really know who else. I just know happen to know that that's those are the teams that were on the buy and are on the buy this week. Uh, that's just because I because of fantasy and because I'm a fan. But regardless, okay. This week, you as we go into the league of the FFF, we're going to see a couple of wins and a couple of losses that are going to start to define really who is going to make the playoffs. Uh, eight weeks in halfway through the season for fantasy football purposes, we're going to have some games that are really going to start to put uh, some places, some teams in the place where they can't make up and some teams where if they get another win, they're still in contention. I'll use me as an example. I'm sitting at three and four in 11th place with a two game winning streak. And let me tell you guys something. I have won by the hairs of my chinny chin chin last week. I, I won if I were to if I were to take away to Mario Davis, who again scored 21 and a half points for me, I would have beaten Austin Whitebeards by a mere two, no, one and a half points. 
craziness. Los Chicharitos took care of LA Lambs. You had Master Deflator eke out a win versus Gronky Kong because of, uh, let me see here, it's the wide receiver who scored for him, who got him over. Uh, it was Michael Pittman. That's right. Michael Pittman got him over the hump uh, to get Master Deflator that win. If we continue to go down uh, last week's matchups, you had Hall of Lame lose to COVID-49. You had the 52ers beat Los Osos, and I think the Los Osos' demise was starting Justin Fields. Uh, you had Healthy Dynamic put a beat down on Fly Eagles Fly. You had Los Mireyes beat Maquina de Fuego. And Bear Force One go down to CD Goats. Let's move on to week eight. Team Yenko takes on Gronky Kong, which let's admit, guys, Gronky Kong starting off 5-0 and oh, has now lost two in a row. That's going to be a tough matchup for me, guys. I'm going to be completely honest. I, I've got no one at running back. I'm starting people that uh, are by necessity because I have Marquise Brown on the bye. I've got Hard to Renfro on the bye. I've got Clyde, Arrows, Clyde Edwards Alaire on IR. I've, you know, Sony Michelle has been a huge bust. I've got Jerry Judy on IR. And these are guys that I drafted that are on IR. However, uh, any given Sunday, right? Any given Sunday. But obviously, uh, right now, projected, Gronky Kong is projected to win 131 over my measly and anemic 109 points. You know? that's it is what it is anyway cd goats going again austin whitebeards healthy dynamic against master deflator which should be a good game that game there guys healthy dynamic and master deflator look they're both one is at freddie with Healthy dynamic is at three and four and adrian is at four and three one game apiece this is an important game because this will put someone back two games behind and although they're not in the same division it will make a difference in the overall Los Osos against Los Chicharitos, the 52ers against LA Lambs, Bear Force One against Los Mireyes, Hall of Lame against Fly Goes Fly, and Maquina de Fuego versus COVID-49. And guys, as I look at the roster, I mean, the standings here, still at number, let me see, number one in the league, according to our own power rankings, is Mireyes sitting at 6-1 and one with a three-game winning streak. And Los Mireyes is going to play Bear Force 1, which is at 5-2. and two. Not the same division, but both in first place. Let me give you guys some perspective here. Los Osos is 4-3 and three at second place in that division, and Los Mireyes 6-1. Why does that matter? Well, because if Bear Force 1 beats Los Mireyes, that only puts Los Osos one game back if Los Osos wins. What does that do to Bear Force 1 if he loses? Well... He now falls to three losses. And if the 52ers win their division, I mean, their game, they're now both tied for first place in their division. If we look at the FFF East, atop the FFF East, you have COVID-49 and LA Lambs, both at four and three. That's where you start to define, right? First place heading into the playoffs, tie record, who gets in? And then the division of death. I mean, you have the FFF North where uh, Los Chicharitos and Gronky Kong are sitting in five and two. But if Los Chicharitos or Gronky Kong lose somehow and Master Deflator moves a win or pulls out a win, 
you have a three-way tie at five and three. And the only way that happens is if Tvienko beats Kronky Kong. And if everyone's sitting five at three, that puts me at four and four, only a game back. Craziness, guys. Craziness. We did it for the real NFL, what the playoffs look like. And right now, what the playoffs look like. At the quarterfinals would be Los Mireyes versus Master Deflator, the number one seed versus the number eight seed. COVID-49 versus Los Chicharitos, four versus five. Bear Force one versus the 50 Tours, three versus six. And Gronky Kong versus LA Lambs, two versus seven. A lot of games still to be played with a lot of big games already being played in week eight. Check your lineups, check your waiver wires, check your fantasy injury updates. The games, the week starts tomorrow with a lot of fantasy implications, especially if you have Devontae Adams, especially if you need to find someone to pick up to replace Devontae Adams or Alan Lazard especially if you got your teams on the bye, and especially if you got some injuries. Let's hope for the best. I hope the FFF uh, gets a little more competitive. And to the teams I didn't mention, it's because you're sitting at only one win, guys. It's because you're sitting at one and six. And that, you know, and shout out to Austin Whitebeards. Shout out to Fly Eagles Fly. Shout out to Hall of Lame at two and five, where it's not like if they aren't trying, where CD Goats is two and five. It's not like if, there isn't some kind of effort that isn't being demonstrated. I think if you look at the waiver wire, the trades being proposed and some of these weird trades being processed, people aren't giving up. And that's really what the FFF was standing for, right? People who were invested, people who wanted to play, people who weren't going to give up any effort and teams that were going to put their best foot forward to be competitive, regardless of what their, uh, records are and let's admit guys uh anything is possible and some of these trades are a little crazy but hey it's a it's a democracy here right if you vote eight you get the eight although question i gotta put out there does the commissioner vote does his vote count hey commissioner or co-commissioner if you listen to this podcast which i hope you do wasn't there some talk sometime about Commissioners couldn't vote unless they needed there needed to be a tie broken. Because yesterday, a commis- the commissioner voted to get it to eight votes. But I, I I think I recall if it was this year or last year, the commissioner not vote the commissioner not voting because he was a commissioner. I don't know. We need some clarity. I think uh, Ellie Lamb, Steve brought up some good points about are we going to accept every trade that comes our way, guys? Let's be real here. Some of these trades that have been uh, accepted in our league, some are fair, sure. And some, man, guys, are a little questionable. Uh, some of them are a little eh, iffy, right? I mean, you've, you've got some, some transactions that have happened, some, some trades that have happened that you're, it makes me scratch my head, for example. If we were to look at Kyler Murray and Damian Harris being traded for an injured Saquon Barkley and a mediocre Teddy Bridgewater, what the what? The what? Huh? How, how? Or how do you trade 
what was the other one that mind boggled me? Amari Cooper. Well, you know what? That one's kind of evenish because Keenan Allen can be dominant, and Amari Cooper and Devontae Parker, eh, you, you know. But uh, what was the other one? As I'm looking through the trades here uh, to to see what happened. Actually, as I look at our history, Keenan Allen has been traded now twice. Interesting, because the original trade was Adam Thielen and James Robinson for Keenan Allen, James White, and Jameson Crowder. And what a trade, right? Because James James White is now on IR. Eesh. Anywho, uh, just food for thought. Uh, putting out my opinion, putting out which could what something that could be uh, a conversation starter, something that could be something that we want or to talk about, guys. If you can hit up an NFL game, it's an experience in person. It's an experience that as an NFL fan, you have to live. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I had a blast this past week at Allegiant Stadium. Maybe because it was time for the Raiders to finally play somewhere that actually merited a deserving team. I mean, the stadium they were playing in was built, I think, in the 60s. Sharing it with a baseball team, mediocre is a nice definition for that stadium, if I were to describe it. Uh, it's it's amazing. Obviously, you have SoFi, which was heavily more invested. You have two teams in L.A. We get it. But as I was talking to Josh this weekend, he asked me, were there a lot of Eagles fans in Las Vegas this week? And guys, there actually was. And I don't think it was because the Eagles are were really drawn to see them play against the Raiders. I think it's the the mystique, the uh, the beaconing light that Las Vegas is in the middle of the desert. Guys, you're going to start seeing teams flock to Las Vegas, not because they want to see their team play against the Raiders, but because it's Las Vegas. Because it's a city that gives you so much more entertainment than just the NFL. You've got shows, you've got restaurants, you've got casinos, you've got the strip, you've got people watching, you've got fountains that put on a show in front of Caesar's Palace. I mean, uh, the Bellagio, the Venetian, the MGM, the T-Mobile, the T-Mobile Arena, you've got the Golden Knights who play there now. And it's rumored, rumored that the Oakland Athletics might move also to Las Vegas, leaving Oakland now deserted, no pun intended, by the desert that is Las Vegas? Who knows, guys? But if you can make a game, I know uh, Los Chicharitos is going to make it out to Tennessee, and I hope his team wins. Uh, I know that uh, there are some uh, Cowboys fans that are going to go see the Cowboys game sometime this year, Raiders fans that are going to watch the Raiders sometime this year. Try to Phoenix. If you're in El Paso, fly out to Dallas, go to Houston, be the NFL in person. Remember, guys, last year it was hard to get into because the pandemic with restrictions and obviously health concerns and respecting everyone's decision in that regard. If you don't want to go, I'll power to you. But if you can go check out an NFL game in person as I sign off, guys, uh, I'm going to make a shout out and a challenge to my fellow podcasters. Let's show up on Monday. I know I've been out on Mondays and Mondays is our usual thing, but it's better to put out content 
the no content at all. And I'm sure by at this point, you've had some conflicting opinions to what I've talked about and what I've mentioned. I've only provided stats. I've only provided realities. And I've provided debatable conversation for next week. Until next time, Yenko on the CYJ podcast. Peace.